Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 294, Planet Comic-Con with Carrie Elwes. And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen. Today we are joined by Carrie Elwes from Planet Comic Con in Kansas City. As you recall, these are, these conversations are probably about a month old. They're happening in mid-March, but we've had some other things to attend to with all of the Hugo conversation and before we get started in listening to this extremely entertaining conversation with Carrie about his days on the set of The Princess Bride, it is really quite humorous and probably provides some of the necessary levity that we need uh, during these times. He even attempts a quite humorous impersonation of Andre the Giant and does it multiple times to the point I was, I was laughing as I was laughing out loud as I was listening to this conversation, uh, because the, these were items that I wasn't present at Planet Comic Con and, and well, some of these things I was listening to for the first time. But before we hear from Carrie, Christy and I are going to spend a little bit of time continuing our Hugo Awards observations. As part of that, we'll, we'll cover a lot of the discourse that's taking place on blog posts back and forth from notable authors on either side of the discussion and then others certainly that are asking for calm and civility as part of the discourse that's taking place because certainly it's been, as I noted in the newsletter, if you guys subscribe to the newsletter, I, I noted in the newsletter, it's been a trying time for the community in a lot of ways and and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Some of the other things we'll talk about or discuss are some of the other big publishing news items that have been happening over the last week. And as everybody's been fixated on the Hugos, some of the other discussion has really been left to the sidelines and really probably not received some of the coverage that it, that it truly deserves. And the other thing we'll, we'll touch on as we're having a bit of conversation will be a quick preview of a new segment that I know I'm really excited about called Suds and Science. And we'll provide a little ode to that as we're going through our discussion about the new segment. This episode is brought to you by the Stone Soldiers series from C.E. Martin. The Stone Soldiers are America's secret weapon against the force of darkness. A small detachment of psychics, supernatural soldiers, and men turn to living stone. They respond to threats conventional forces are not prepared to face. Battling myths, monsters, and magic around the world, the men and women of Detachment 1039 stand ready to do whatever it takes to stop evil in its tracks. Book one in the series, Mythical, is currently free on Kindle, Nook, and iTunes. In it, you'll find Colonel Mark Kensler. He's the last of the Cold War super soldiers, and he's just come back from the dead. Sent to Arizona to hunt a heart-devouring shapeshifter, Colonel Kensler and his team of supernatural smashing soldiers 
thought it was just another mission, but instead of stopping the monster's murderous rampage, the colonel and his team became the last victims in a trail of carnage blazed across the Southwest. The Stone Soldier series is available in print and on Kindle, Nook, iTunes, Kobo, and Smashwords.com. To learn more, come to the show notes, episode 294, and click on the image that you will see from Stone Soldiers by C.E. Martin. Now, let's jump into Christy and Mai's discussion, and then Carrie Elwes from Planet Comic Con. So, Christy and I are together, and we're going to talk about a few things tonight, and unfortunately, probably we're arm-twisting one another, although, and I'll say this, we're going to start with some Hugo discussion, and I think we'll do as much as we can both stomach at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and and part of that has to do with, and I'll give some context and explain why why I'm in that mood. You know, some of the best blogs include that little indicator at the end around what mood you're in, and that's kind of the mood we're in right now, I think, collectively, wouldn't you say, Christy? Is yeah, yeah. <laughs> barely able to stomach some of the Hugo discussion. I had a, a dear friend of mine that's a small uh, press publisher, and he started messaging me over Facebook, and he's been a little bit out of the discussion, and he messaged me a couple days ago and he said, oh, I'm sure you're probably sick of talking about this, but I would really like it if you'd come over and have a glass of wine with me and talk talk about this Hugo business. <laughs> and you I, explain it to me. He, well, he explained it to me and he said, and, and then he also said in his message and he said, boy, there really needs to be some sort of cheat sheet for all the acronyms and... <laughs> You know, he was like, I'm not sure what GG is, and I see SP everywhere, and he's like, I'm not sure what to make of this, so will you come over and, and have a conversation with me over a glass of wine? And I said, said yeah. sure, I will. I Yes, I am very much sick of this conversation, but I said, for you, I will I will do it. We can have a glass of wine, and we'll, we'll have that conversation. So, yeah, I think that's generally our mood, wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and the only thing I would add to that at this point is, yeah, I, I, I think any discussion about the Hugos at this point requires alcohol. And I think on top of that, the entire, you know, before it was just kind of interesting. It's like, oh, you know, there's different, you know, different groups and they, you know, different opinions on the Hugo Awards. And now it's just kind of taken a WTF, you know, twist. It's like, you sort of look at stuff online and it's like, what, what happened? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, requires beer, I think is a, uh, is, is a footnote that goes in any Hugo, no Hugo nomination or Hugo award discussion at this point. I, I think it requires beer. If you're a logic, logical, well-adjusted individual, if, yes. if you're not, it might escalate quickly based on some <laughs> things that we've seen there. So I'm not sure Christy, while you and I can have a beer while we're having this conversation, I'm not sure that we're going to recommend beer for everyone based on some of the things we're talking about. And I, and I, so you would have had to have fallen off the planet, I think, to not see some of the most recent po posts from George Martin. Yes. And one of those, a lot of them I found to be very helpful from the standpoint of historical context. Yes, definitely. There are some things I disagree with, particular to, it's not, 
that I did disagree with them whole cloth, but the the whole he provides one where he's talking about a definition of a of a true fan. Yeah. And while those things are important from a definition in a historical context, I'm not sure that some of those definitions apply any longer. And I think that's part of the debate. But there's one thing that I 100 percent agree with him on, and it was his post on tone. Yes. And this notion of keeping it civil. Yeah. And it's going to be really interesting. I think you and I have talked about this in private, but I don't think I've talked about this on the show. So being, and I'm not going to pat myself on the back. I just, you know, based on the fact that you and I had been talking about this and watching what was going on while the nomination process was closing. Yes. I, I'm attending Conquest, which is a Kansas City-based convention regional convention, but is going to be the convention of next year's Worldcon. And if they're going to be changing the rules and you're watching all the discussion taking place around the slate, they are going to become the center of the Hugo Awards universe very quickly. Yes. And I, so I proposed as a panel this year, and it's on the panelist list. It'll be, or it's right now, currently, it's on the, the, the panel list, is a discussion around sad puppies. And I, I was going to recommend that I moderate that discussion. It'll be interesting to see if George decides to interject himself in that mm-hmm. and be a member as a panel. We could very much be on the same panel together if they decide to keep it. Uh, I'm yeah. going to recommend to the to the convention committee that they I, I'm going to really recommend that actually they live uh, stream that. Panel. No, I think that's a fantastic idea. I think they're also, if they do that panel though, I, I think live streaming it is a brilliant idea, but I think the other and keeping it for sure, but they're going to have to have a very good moderator in there because otherwise I think you'll just have people. To, I, I, I think that's the kind of panel that could become so heated with the audience you know, and anybody who, who goes to conventions, there's always, there's always somebody in the audience who often will become very impassioned about a topic and want to jump in and give their opinion on the panel. And I could see that going. I, I, I think it would be interesting. Yeah, that panel could go south very quickly. And that's actually part of my rationale for recommending that that panel is actually live streamed. Absolutely. Because yeah. it's, oh, and I hate to use this parallel, but it's like a lot of the discussion that's going on right now about equipping law enforcement with with uh, body cameras. Yeah. The, the propensity for bad behavior goes down significantly when that has been is there's the possibility that's going to be broadcasted for the world. Or if it's being broadcast live at that moment. At that moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. So that it'll be really interesting to see if they keep that panel. But those are going to be some of the recommendations that, that I'm going to make to the convention committee because it's coming up at the towards the end of May. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. It's it's interesting. I've been reading the I, uh, I've been reading obviously the George R. R. Martin journals, and I think you brought it up earlier that as soon as he jumped into it, everybody else just kind of went you know sat back and was like, okay, what's he going to say about it? But one of there, there are two things that he brought up recently in his are in his in his journal that I agree with one hundred percent. 
And I, I actually, for me, they're two of the most fascinating things that have been a result of the whole, the whole Sad Puppies nomination sweep. But, but yeah, so have you, so have you been following all the live journals? I've read all of the live journals, I believe up until this last one that I skimmed and then saved to go back and read later. So I have read, he's done five, has he done five or six at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've read all of them ex- except the last, the last one. I kind of skimmed it. Okay. The, the last one actually has the two things that I, I guess interest or, or piqued my interest the most. And the, the first one we, and again, we, we've sort of chatted about this, you know, on, on messenger and stuff like that. But the, the first one has to do with changing the rules and whether or not banning a slate or banning slates or trying to ban slates is, is a particularly good idea. And one of the things he talks about is that it, it's, he, I, I guess he feels that if the rules get changed to prevent what, uh, what Brad and Larry were able to do, then that kind of proves their point. Because if you, if you change the rules, and, and this is what I, I'm sort of uh, paraphrasing the journal, so George, George's journal, but his point, point of view is that if you start changing the rules now to prevent slates, what you risk doing is actually proving their point because you're basically changing the rules to exclude them, which was their complaint in the first place. And at this point, you know, you get enough fans, you, you talk about the books, you nominate them and there is no exclude. And, and I, you know, I think this is a, a good, a good point. You know, there is no exclusion, you know, at this point in time, it's been proven that if enough fans vote, anything can get into the Hugos. There, there is no exclusion. But if they start changing the rules, that that adds a new layer to it. And, you know, it's it's I, I don't know. I get scared about the knee jerk reactions. So and this this goes back to my science days. And mine is the uh, so. So back when I started my master's, uh, my master's degree in up here in Canada, GMO. So genetically modified organisms. So GMO foods and, and crops and things like that were just starting to pop up into the news. And. Uh, people were terrified of them because it was new technology and there had been some bad things that happened. So Monsanto or Monsanto. Yeah. So Monsanto or they've read the wind up girl. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) They've read the wind up girl. They've heard about, you know, pesticide resistant crops or or weeds and genes jumping around and, and everybody's terrified. And it's new technology because it was something that was going on behind the scenes. Scientists knew about it. Scientists were developing it. We all knew the literature, but it hadn't, it, it developed so quickly, it never really got into the mass media. So it was a surprise. And one of my friends ended up, you know, there, there was a lot of debate and discussion. And so one of my friends ended up getting invited to an ethics, it was, uh, it was an ethics and politics and, and more of a social sciences class to talk about so they could ask him questions about, you know, genetically modified organisms and, and stuff like that. And, he came up with the most brilliant, he, he came up with the best way to get a conversation started about it versus the knee jerk reaction of, oh my God, this is horrible. We need to ban it all. <laughs> so what he did is he showed up to the class and he said, you know, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm the geneticist. And, uh, he's like, all right, everybody raise your hand. If you 
would, if you think GMOs should be banned across the board and everybody's hand shoots up and they're like, absolutely, GMOs are horrible. They should be banned. We don't know enough about them. They're, you know, they're scary. I'm paraphrasing at this point, but they're (laughs) scary. They're terrifying. We don't want them. You know, they need to be studied more. They need to be controlled. And he's like, okay. So he just nods his head. He doesn't argue with them at that point. And he says, okay, so you all think GMOs should across the board be banned. And then he says, how many of you think that the, the average lifespan should be reduced to the age of 30? And everybody sort of looked at him, you know, a little funny. And, and you know, it's like, well, no, of course not. <laughs> we don't want, the, you know, that's stupid. Of course we don't want to reduce the age of, you know, the, the, the average lifespan to, to, to age 30. And he said, well, here's the problem. That's what you just did because you've just banned antibiotics. And that was a really great way to get the conversation back to a neutral point away from the knee jerk. This is all horrible to a let's have a logical conversation about this because knee jerk reactions are always a bad idea. And I I think that's maybe what's going on with the Hugos right now. And, And yeah, it leads into what what is the definition? So in that case, the, the analogy that I used was, what's the definition of a GMO? And in this case, it's, what's the definition of a slave? Is George R. R. Martin posting, I, I don't think people are thinking logically about this right now. If George R. R. Martin or Scalzi or Mary Robin at Cowell or, you know, Chuck Wendig, all authors I read, all authors I really, um, I, I quite admire. If they post books that they think, you know, they're, they're thinking of nominating that year or, or artists that they're thinking of nominating. Do they have enough clout that that could be considered a slate? You know, where do you, and, and George R. R. Martin is a great example of that. Where does it, you know, become a slate versus somebody discussing that's, that becomes a huge gray area. And how do you enforce it? And he, t- he references that in one of the journal posts where he talks about the distinct, he makes a distinction or tries to make a distinction between endorsement or lobbying for certain works versus this notion of slate. But I'm with you. What's the mass effect? Because you have the value that's actually provided the the numerical value that's provided through the nomination process is so small. And I think this is the point you're making that someone like George has such mass appeal. Exactly. That he could almost single-handedly negate an organized effort. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And I think what's interesting about this is none of us really know. Everybody's jumping to conclusions, but no one really knows. And what I would encourage everybody that listens to us to do, and I've only seen a couple posts. So if any of our listeners have seen other posts about the numbers themselves in the nomination process, I would love to see those because I've been going through um, Mike Glyer's file 770 and seeing the the full digest and I would encourage listeners to go there because he's doing a wonderful job of capturing just about everything that's being yeah. written. Elizabeth Bear, I think I was joking with you on message the other day. Elizabeth Bear came on the show and famously said one time that she could wallpaper her bathroom with all of her rejection letters 
But I think, honestly, with as many blog posts that have been written about this subject, you could probably wallpaper an entire main level of a home, of a, a 3,000 square foot home with all of the blog posts that have been written about this subject in the last oh, week. Oh, yeah. And, I, but I would encourage everybody to go and just look at the Hugo site and look at the nomination numbers and ask themselves. And I'm not saying that it couldn't be gamed. All this still couldn't be gamed and tiered and done in all these ways to kind of hide the truth. I'm not saying that. Because if you jump onto Making Light, a quick aside, if you jump onto Making Light and all this rules discussion, one of the things Teresa Nielsen Hayden talks about is every voting system ever known is flawed. Mm -hmm. And I think there's truth with enough motivation. It's kind of like I have a background, quasi-background in IT. I work with a a lot of IT professionals, and they'll t- you ask them, is something possible? And their response will be, well, yeah, with enough time and money. You give me enough time and money, and I'll get it to work. Well, and the same thing is here on the rules. You, you give us enough elbow grease and enough lobbying power, and that's, you know, that's what Larry has a background in lobbying. And yeah, they could probably figure out a way to gain just about every rule system. But what I want to encourage listeners to do is go and look at the Hugo site and look at the numbers across the categories. Because the people, the novel numbers for nominations and the variance and the lowest number and highest number significantly outpace some of the other categories like our category. And it made me wonder, I'm not saying it's the the truth, but it made me wonder if this is all gained why are the numbers not more similar across the board from a That's, total from yeah. a total vote from a total nomination standpoint? Now they might have decided to regain that and say, "Okay, I've got tier one gamer gates out on out on novel tier one. Go, we've got you know ninety percent of you are a novel. <laughs> go hit novel. Ten percent of you go hit you know ten of you ten percent of you go hit fan cast." I mean, they, they could have stratified that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. With enough time and money. Sure. But I, it just really, it makes me wonder that we probably won't get the real truth at, at that. I don't think we'll ever get the real truth, but you won't ever even get a hint of the truth probably until the ceremony's over. And they release all the nomination numbers and you get everybody gets to take a good look at just the effect that was had uh, based on the slate. And to your point, you have others that are knew this was coming. And now, finally, I think people are paying attention and are saying, well, and this was part of George's one of George's posts saying, well, I don't want to change the rules. But unfortunately, this is probably all broken here on out because you're going to have one lobbyist group against another lobbyist group really looking slate to slate on, on some level. So that's where that, that's where this is all unfortunate. And, and you have people creating new awards on Twitter, which has been a lot of fun. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, The new awards have been great. (laughs) The new awards have been awesome. Absolutely awesome. Which what I love about the spirit of the new awards are people are, providing the necessary levity for those that are well adjusted. And I mean, they're, they're being able to take a stab at this without getting all too serious and bent out of shape about it, which I think is fabulous. So anything else you want to talk about 
uh, tied to the Hugo discussion or if we, if we work this over pretty good? I don't know. I guess, I guess the only other thing that comes up to me that, that I find, you know, if, if anything about the Hugo awards right now is encourages the grab a beer first before I start discussing it, I'd say, and, and again, George talks about this, which is why it's fresh in my mind after having read some of his posts. It's this idea, it's, it's this weird McCarthyism that's popping up in sci-fi fantasy. It could be its own sci-fi story at this mm-hmm. point. You know, it's this, it's kind of creepy. Like, I, maybe it's the Canadian in me, because we learn about McCarthyism in, you know, in, in history, history class, you know, yeah. when we're learning about the U.S., particularly when we're learning about, you know, U.S. history and stuff. But it's, and I think that's what George calls it is, is McCarthyism, where it's like guilt by association. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where people are talking about this no word thing. And it's wild because people want to punish these authors and whoever else is on these awards just for having caught the attention of the puppies or Vox Day or whoever it is. It's a little nuts. I, I, that's just my opinion, but uh, that's, that's the, that's the scariest thing that's come out of this is that people would turn to punishing these authors. Like I, 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 I like Mary Robin at Cal said, she's going to read every, she posted a while back. She said, I'm going to read everything. It's, you know, or, or try to read everything and, and vote on it accordingly, which I, I, I hope a lot of people do. Cause I think it's just. I think it's just mean spirited to take some poor author and go, you were mentioned by the wrong people. So no award for you. It's like, come on. Uh, but anyway. Well, and that, that book ends this conversation on some level from the civility where we started with this and that, yeah. I mean, if, if that's the worst that happens, if that's the worst that happens. So for us, because guilt by association, I mean, there were things that I didn't even realize and you've seen me post on this. So I posted on io9. I've responded to some stuff on io9. And I've responded to some things on responded to some things on Facebook just around our position and and where we stand and I I really look at this and a lot of people are not pleased that we brought Larry and Brad on and I said, "Look, this is a journalistic endeavor." And we gave more than equal time to the anti-sad puppies cuz in fact, we actually ran two shows because Ferret commented on Yeah, that's true. Yeah, as, no, that's as, absolutely true. As well as Paul. Yep. And so this is a journalistic endeavor for us. And, and just because the puppies put us on their slate doesn't necessarily mean that you and I endorse everything that's taking place there. We asked to be there. The mechanics and the timing of this thing, we were exploring that as mm-hmm. part of that process. And we'll probably, you and I have talked about having a position on slates probably that's more solidified after we see this whole process through. Yeah. But if the worst that happens to us to circle back to that civility, the worst that happens to us is we get no award or below no award. That's okay. in my book in some level, because we've seen and Mary Robinette Kowal talked about this. You've seen people express death threats. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, yeah. that, that is serious. That is serious business. It's an for award. It's it, a Hugo Award that two thousand people vote on uh, once a year yeah. at the most. Come on, people. <laughs> but yeah. But. Well, so to really end this, I know you and I were chatting, and I thought we'd share because, I, in the spirit of things, 
you and I, we've been watching all the conversation, but haven't been getting as active the last couple of days. I haven't been getting as active, but there are definitely two things. I'm not going to let this talk ruin for me over the next week. And so people were fans and as part of fandom, I know Christy and I have both been talking about different things. We're not going to let the Hugo Awards discussion ruin. And one of those for me is the Daredevil series just launched on Netflix. And I'm yeah. going to be, I'm not going to say I'm binge watching. I've got too much going on, but I'm going to be watching it in fits and spurts over the next week to try and get it finished. So I'm super excited about that. And then well, the other thing I'm yeah. super excited about is Zero Boxer by Fonda Lee. And so I'm going to be, I started reading it and I'm really looking forward to finish it. So I am not going to let the Hugo Awards ruin, ruin those <laughs> things for me. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, um, I, I'd say, no, I, I got a couple things too. So one is Daredevil, of course, you know, we're, we're planning to watch that this weekend. I hope we get it up in Canada. I'm going to be really upset if we don't. But the other one is uh, Mortal Kombat, the new Mortal Kombat coming out uh, next week up here. So that is something that we're going to be playing in this household and probably binge playing over a weekend because it's going to be amazing visually, I'm hoping. And it's got a cool story. Considering it's like a fighter, a fighting game, it's like the story in the last one was really good. I was going to ask you about that because that is one game where I played relatively recently. I think it was probably six years ago when the one that where they had the DC superheroes. Yeah. Against Mortal Kombat. We had that on PS3 and I would play that. And I was trying to remember if there was any story. I mean, all I remember spine ripping and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't recall any story in the Mortal Kombat game. So there's story in, in the last couple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was. I, I thought there was. I thought there was. I'm in, um, I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> racking my brain at this point. because It's been a while since I played it. But it's in between the ripping out somebody's spine there. There is story in there. The other thing that I uh, just finished and was not ruined by the Hugo Awards was Diana Rowland's latest book came out, Vengeance of the Demon. And uh, I listened to the audiobook and I just finished it. And it's, uh, it's, it's very fun. So that was awesome. Excellent. Well, you and I are both enjoying a beer. So I, I thought the other thing you and I could officially do as we're having this conversation is introduce a new segment that we're going to be incorporating Probably a little slowly. We'll look to launch the the first one in about a month from now. But a new segment. And one of, when you were at Nora Westcon, we actually have to get you on at some point to do redo the panel discussion that you did around the uh, zombie apocalypse. Oh yeah, so that was the, a fun one. Yeah, the science <laughs> of, a, of a, a zombie apocalypse. But we have this new segment that we're going to introduce, and in one of the first shows or portions of the show that we'll do is it's going to be our suds and science segment and it'll be us having a craft beer and talking about different uh, scientific topics, either things that have been in the news, things that we just find between one of the two of us engaging. We'll have some special guests on. We'll probably have a segment host, a buddy of mine that's an engineer that is going to get on in on some of these topics. But the, the first one we're going to do or one of the first ones we're going to do is there's a a feature that's launching. It's a documentary film that's launching on Earth Day, April 22nd, and it's called Planetary. And it's an environmental documentary that spans continents 
and features imagery not only from NASA missions, but also they have interwoven scenes kind of on the ground. You know, they'll be at like Buddhist monasteries in the Himalayas or they'll be in downtown Tokyo and Manhattan and talking about uh, environmental issues and looking at how we're affecting the environment. As part of the documentary, they talk with experts who speak on on basically our worldview and effect, how we're affecting life on Earth. And the here in Kansas City, so the documentary launches, it launches April 22nd on Vimeo On Demand, so anybody can purchase it. But in Kansas City, they're having a special screening on in, uh, it's May 9th. And the thing that's different about that, they're going to have the, the director, Guy Reed, and one of the astronauts that's featured in the, the film, Ron Garen. So I'm super excited about that. I'm going to have the, uh, the opportunity to meet both of them. And I'm going to be looking to get audio, certainly from their, I'll certainly get audio from their chat, but I'm hoping I'll have an opportunity to ask them some follow-up questions. And my friend Hunter, who he is actually going to be attending with me, he'll, he'll act as a bit of a co-host in that. We're, we're hoping we'll have a chance to ask some follow-up questions. So Awesome. No, I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing that now. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's very cool. The trailers are they, – they premiered it at South by Southwest in Austin last month. So they did – you know, South by Southwest has evolved as a, as a festival. It used to be a r- very rich music festival, and now it's kind of evolved to, to include tech and – movies and different cultural issues. So it's, it's really evolved. And so they did a premiere there. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun segment too. Yeah. And we'll, you being the scientist, I know there are some other <laughs> topics that you would like to include, right? I think we should get other scientists on too, though. I, I, I don't have the, um, I, I, I shouldn't get carte blanche on, um, on the science topics, you know, tons of scientists too. So we, we should have a, Diversity in scientists on the show. Well, and we will, we will. I know you. I know being in the community, I'm sure you have an interest in certain topics, though. Yes, definitely. So definitely, yeah. Well, sp- speaking of a topic where you and that you and I both been tracking is been and has gotten lost in all this. Hugo, I know. I was sitting there at the Norwestcon bar last weekend, and I'm checking my news in in the bar. And I, I see the Amazon HarperCollins thing come up and no one was talking about it, which is crazy. I, yeah, I'm shaking my head. People can't see it. It's like this is reminiscent. Yeah. You remember the kerfuffle that Hachette caused with the yeah. Amazon? This is on equal footing. Yeah, exactly. No, it's and, and in some ways, this one is is even more interesting because if I remember correctly, HarperCollins has been playing around with doing their own ebook and kind of sales system. So, or, or having their own kind of way to, um, uh, to sell ebooks and, and things like that. I, I think I remember, I could be wrong on that one, in which case, apologies. But if, if I remember correctly, they were the one of the, the big publishers who were playing around with that. So this could be really interesting. Yeah. And we'll, we'll track this and let, let folks know. I think there have just been a couple, news stories. I was looking at Galley Cat and there was one other one. I think while I was looking at Galley Cat, you had sent another one over and we'll, that's something we'll be tracking. But so listeners know the effect of that, if they don't recall or the recall the Hachette issues was that a lot of those books got pulled from, I mean, they got pulled from Amazon. 
They, I think they, they're, yeah. And I don't know if that's happened yet or not. I haven't gone out to look. I think they, I, I think that's, I think the contract or something is up on the 14th of the month and then everything's going to be pulled or Amazon said that, that everything from HarperCollins is going to be pulled off their sites. So by the time people are listening to this, the HarperCollins books could be gone yeah. off of, off of Amazon's site yeah. and you'll have to find an alternative way to purchase them. But that's, that's big news. And a lot of the discussion there was around price control and managing the prices and not being, not having some of that, the contract discussions and not having Amazon dictate dictate pricing, yeah. Barbara Collins, as I, as I recall. Yeah. The other big thing, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time here talking about it. Tim Ward did a nice job covering this news, and as it happened, is that Ragnarok Publishing ended up acquiring Peraspera Press, and Ragnarok's well well known for their dark fantasy and horror. And they've only been around since 2013, but they, Prasper Press has been around, I think, for quite a bit longer. It's been like 12 years, but Ragnarok's really making a name for themselves and, and broadening their, essentially broadening their line, you know, to cover fantasy, horror, and science fiction, and with some items that are really considered quality work. So, if you're if you're really interested in learning more about the acquisition and what it means for both publishing houses, I would encourage you to go out to the site. Tim did a nice job providing some, you know, some top line coverage and then linking out to the Ragnarok press release. But it sounds like the acquisition is going to be pretty, pretty seamless and all the staff's going to be big thing here is you don't want people losing their publishing jobs. And it sounds like the, all the staff's going to be retained or the majority of the staff's going to be retained based on what I saw. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, no, it's, it's it, again, two really interesting pieces of news in the publishing world that just, I, I'd argue they're in some ways a lot more relevant than the Hugo's <laughs> as far as the day-to-day life of the writers out there, you know, and readers. So those are probably, anyway, I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> Oh, I think I think you and I need to go grab another beer. Maybe it's time to end our discussion. Good call. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Okay. Cheers to you, Christy. Talk to you later, Brent. All right. Take care, everybody.
mistakes that people keep making. Uh, we're seeing, you know, Beauty and the Beast coming back as a live action, and we were talking about how how you would recast the Princess Bride, and we said. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait.
I'm telling you guys, it, it was 15 seconds long. Somebody timed it. Somebody timed it. It's a long time. Don't try this at home, kids. Don't, don't, don't. And, and it, the sonic resonance of it was so monumental that I looked over at the sound guy and he, he lifted the headphones up.
said. I said, what are you, what are you defending him from, the flu? Comes up to me and goes, oh, it's very easy, governor. It's just like a motorbike. Clutch here, brake pedal, on-off switch, pops your uncle. That should have told me something, right? Get on this thing that I had no business being on. First gear, and I lurch forward and I go over a rock because it's very mountainous where we're shooting. And I caught my left big toe between the clutch pedal and the rock, and it just snapped like that. And I went, Oh, wow, that's what the sound of a broken toe sounds like. That's really interesting. And now there are people running up to me, a crew and what have you, and I'm about to shoot the scene with, with Buttercup. And set nurse comes up and she says, Oh, what happened? What happened? I go, Well, no, it's nothing really. I pretended to be like the black knight. So they took the boot off, and then the, there was my big toe, and it was all red and pointed in the wrong direction. <laughs> Lovely. And she goes, Ooh, I think it's broken. <laughs> I said, No, no, it's not, it's just sprained. She goes, Look at it, it's pointed in all the wrong direction, everything. It's broken. I said, Well, what can you do for me? I've got to shoot the scene, what can you do? She goes, I'm a step nurse. She opened up her bag, she goes, I've got salmon here for a, a upset tummy. I've got salmon for a day. Don't have nothing for broken limbs. I've got to go to hospital for that. So I said, oh please, anything, because they were getting like down to the wire to shoot the scene. I said, is there anything you can do? She goes, well, I suppose I could make a makeshift splint. I said, great, can you do that? So I think she grabbed a couple of twigs or something. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that. He goes, can you run? 
interesting. <laughs> he goes, all right, don't worry, man. Shoot the scene and we'll, we'll get to it later. And he was such a mensch about it. But um, I learned two valuable things that day. One, always tell the truth, it's easier. And two, don't go fooling around on an all-terrain vehicle unless you know where you're going. Them things aren't toys. They're not toys. They're very dangerous. So that was the first and last time I've been on an all-terrain vehicle. Robin Hood. Yes. Working with another. Thank you. Great. to a screening, I think, of, of Princess Bride, and then he saw that I was, uh, he was, he'd already written Rob, uh, Robin Hood and Tyson, I got the call, I literally got a call from him at home, and uh, I, I thought it was a, a hoax, because I picked up the phone and I said, this is Mel Brooks. I went, yeah, right, and hung up. <laughs> right? Isn't that what you would do? So the phone rang again, I picked it up, and he went, don't hang up, don't hang up, it's really me. Proceeded to tell me he had this script about Robin Hood and he wanted me to come and meet on it. And I, I was blown away because I grew up with Mel Brooks. I mean, I just I just loved his work. I'd seen his movies so so many times. The producers and Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. Right? Great movies. And um, his partner in comedy, Carl Reiner, is Rob's father. So Rob grew up around Mel. And so they did have very similar style. They, they both have something in common. They both take their work very seriously, but they don't take themselves very seriously, which is kind of like how I like to work. So it was a lot of fun. I can't remember a day without laughter, really. That was hysterical. I mean, he just, I don't think he wanted the movie to end, frankly. <laughs> we ended up shooting way over schedule because we were having so much fun. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. You, you mentioned uh, learning on the set of things, you know, things not to do right later. Uh, there are a lot of a lot of genre actors who do genre over and over and over again, and, and everybody knows you mostly as Wesley or Robin Hood. But you have such a varied string of work. I mean, all sorts of genres and parts and characters and everything. There's really no pinning you down, and you're working all the time. Yes, thank you. Very uh, fortunate. I, I looked at your I looked at your IMDb listing just to see what was going on. You've got something like seven or eight projects in post-production right now. I mean, you're, you're constantly on the go. I'd like to work. <laughs> and you get two projects that are coming out soon. Sugar Mountain, Sugar Mountain. with Jason Momoa. You may know him from Game of Thrones. Is Aquaman. Yeah, he's great. And uh, I did a film with Catherine Keener called Green's Gone, and they're both coming out at some point this year. And you played Aquaman. I played Aquaman and then animated. Yes, uh, in uh, Flashpoint. That's right. Yeah. Some of you saw that? Yes. Yeah. Three people. Three people here saw it. Thank you. Anyway, let's do this. Uh, if you guys want to start lining up for some questions, and, and we'll, uh, we'll throw this over to you guys. Yes. Favorite memory from Psych. Favorite, favorite memory from Psych. Oh, hey, how you doing? What's your name? Favorite memory from Psych. Hi, how you doing? Favorite memory from Psych. I think my first day working on Psych was my favorite day because I I didn't realize how Dulé Hill, when he screams like a little, little girl, I just about lost it. And I didn't realize that's what he was going to do in the scene because it wasn't written. Surprised me with it, and I started crying. It was so funny, I started crying. Um, yeah, those guys are crazy. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing. Thank you.
Jacob? Hi, Jacob. Would you ever want to appear on an episode of Doctor Who? is actually dressed as one of the doctors, I believe. Looking very smart, by the way, Jacob. Um, you know, they've never asked me, but I'm, I, uh, I'm sure if I got the call, I would certainly entertain it. I grew up watching Doctor Who, long before it became very popular here, by the way. And, and when I was a kid, this dates me, by the way, because I'm, I'm, I'm very old. And uh, when I was watching Doctor Who, it was in black and white. Seriously, if you can imagine. And the sets were so flimsy that when he closed the door to the TARDIS, the whole walls shook. It's hilarious, because you'd sit there watching it as a kid, you go, that thing can't go into space. That, those walls aren't even gonna make it like through the rest of the day. You know? But it was hilarious to watch and I loved it. If, thank you. If you got the call, would you prefer to be a companion or a one-shot or a villain? A Dalek. skit, uh, Google Spike Milligan and Dalek. It's a very funny, he does a skit of a Dalek coming home from work. It's very funny, it's very funny. Hi, what's your name? Oh, over here, hi, what's your name? Lillian? Hi, Lillian. So you said the director didn't really want you to have stunt double, so did you roll down the hill yourself? Rolling down the hill, I said, no, you know, what's, I'm, thank God it wasn't me, because I just broke my toe. See, we shot it out of sequence, but there are certain scenes where I'm supposed to be running, where I'm sort of doing the most in interesting interpretive jazz dance. <laughs> and you can spot them now, if you look at it, you'll see, it's ridiculous. Like running into the fire swamp, I'm literally on one foot, it's ridiculous. Um, no, it was my stunt double, God bless it. And that was both my stunt double and Robin's stunt double that went down there. But the sword fight was all you the sword fight was except for the one, the one flip. The flip, from the acrobat, that was a real Everything was gymnast. But how long did it take to, to rehearse? A lot. We started rehearsing that three weeks before shooting, and we Maggie and I uh, worked on it eight hours a day, five days a week. And then while we were shooting, every time we, Rob Reiner yelled cut, the uh, swordsman that we were working would grab us between takes and we'd rehearse. So we never really sat down in the movie we were working on. Have you seen the YouTube clip with the swords as lightsabers? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, no, it was, um, luckily the toe had fairly well healed by then. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, but it was still a bit tender, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, what's your name? Hi, my name is Gina. Hi, Gina. Um, I was wondering, I know I read your book already and you said that uh, you did a lot of the fencing. Um, I all used to all fence, of the fencing. All of the fencing. Sorry, yes. I used to fence myself. If someone were to like actually ask you to duel, would you be able to do it? Or, now? Yeah, like nowadays. <laughs> no, you, you could probably kick my butt right now. <laughs> but but you know, I, at the time I was fairly well proficient. You know what's funny is that when I broke my toe, in a way, it helped me become more proficient left-handed because uh, my trainer said, okay, look, we're not going to bother with the footwork anymore because obviously we can't do that. So we're just going to focus on your arm movements. And it made me much better left-handed than if I hadn't. So in a strange way, that happy accident, it helped me learn to be better, uh, a better swordsman in a way. So, yeah. All right, thank you. Thank you. Hi. Um, What's your name? Kristen. Hi. I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't hear you. I beg your pardon. 
<laughs> okay, well, my question is, what, you're such a funny man, obviously. Thank you. Thank so, you. what do you do, something specific, to transition from, say, Princess Bride, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, to Saw? <laughs> Well, in both films, I am tortured. <laughs> so, that was not hard. No, there luckily was, I mean, one was in 1986 and the other was in 2000, whatever. And so, um, you know, I prepare for most of, all of my roles the same way. I love doing research. I love, I love getting into it and to the role and studying the character. And, you know, I, I, I do a lot of preparation for my work. And um, yeah, it's the fun part of it actually for me, really getting into the character and the script. But um, for Saw, it was different because we, I was chained to a wall for pretty much, you know, 18 hours a day. Uh, and for bathroom breaks, so there was one guy who had a key. So we real, that was a real padlock on our ankles, you know? <laughs> and I can assure you, myself and Lee Winnell kept an eye on that guy with the key all day long. Where he, every day, everywhere he walked, we would just follow him. Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast. Music.